Wednesday, August 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Alex Scherer, from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Hello. Hey, oh. hey. Good to get a lot going on today. We've got online travel. We're going to talk mobile payment. We will dip into the Fool mailbag, but we're going to start with the mouse. Walt Disney Company reported the highest quarterly earnings in the company's history, Jason. $1.8 billion in profit for the third quarter. That's a nice quarter. It's a very nice quarter. It's not surprising to see them perform well, but it's just amazing to see how Disney keeps on just chugging along. I mean, it some point, we're going to have to designate this company its own country or something, because it's just like a lifestyle that never that. ends. <laughs> you mean like Disney, Disney World? Or land? Does it have official country status, though? <laughs> it <laughs> it's might, up there with the Vatican. It might need sovereign the nations, Vatican, that's probably larger than the Vatican. Yeah, yeah. It's probably true. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. I mean, parks and resorts are really bouncing back. I think uh, a little bit healthier consumer spending there. I know I am doing my share to chip in there with our trip in October. Uh I think the big key for this quarter was the you know the studio segment, the movies between the Avengers and Brave, mm-hmm. just just phenomenal performers. I mean, the Avengers is the third grossing, the third highest grossing movie of all time uh, at, at about a billion and a half dollars wow. globally. Uh, Brave was the thirteenth consecutive Pixar film to debut at number one. Yep, I, I saw it. I know you did yep. too. It's yep. great film. Are they, they still really batting a well. thousand at Pixar? They are still batting a thousand. I would say a thousand is probably a safe bet. Yeah, they see, they seem to figure that they've got the formula down, and um, you know they're going to release Nemo, I think, in another 3D movie this this uh, coming coming year as well. So they they're doing a really good job of repurposing that content. It was interesting to see that the Avengers are already focused on a sequel. They're developing a series for ABC, which is also owned by Disney. Uh, so yeah, a phenomenal quarter all the way around, and uh, very encouraging looking forward as well. So people who were worried about the stink bomb that was John Carter, <laughs> we don't have to worry about that, Joe. We're fine. Yeah, I think you're okay. They've done an amazing job of just refreshing the catalog of characters they've got. You know, some of them got a little bit tired. Mickey, for example, they haven't really been able to monetize Mickey in the best way lately. Uh, but when they go out and they make these acquisitions of houses like Marvel and Pixar, they just get this huge fresh stock of new characters and. To Jason's point, they're so creative about finding different channels and ways to monetize those characters and do it for a long, long time. Speaking of channels, the Disney Channel itself is is also performing very well, and I think that's something to note uh, for the years to come. You know, the thing about Disney that's so impressive is that it, it you know it held something special to me as a, as a kid. I think to all of us as a kid. Maybe as you get older, it, it, you lose sort of that magic a little bit, but your kids then get it, yep. and then their kids will get it. So it just seems to be a very uh, a very good cycle there that they have going. I don't know if it's ever going to really get stale. They do a good job of keeping these characters fresh. You know, to Joe's point, yeah, Mickey does maybe lose a little bit of his, of his charisma as more characters come out, but they've done a good job, I think, of maintaining his reputation. He's still pretty, he's still pretty hot. I mean, uh-huh. They got Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, How are things going in China? Because obviously Shanghai Disneyland is under construction. I know it's at least a couple of years away from being opened. Uh, But there was a story online today about DreamWorks Animation sort of (laughs) making their own play. They're going to put their name on a a $3 billion entertainment complex in Shanghai. What do you think of that? I, I think that it is a reach for DreamWorks to do that. I don't know that I, I really see it as being too successful. I know they had an effort uh, back in Dubai maybe a couple of years ago that they were trying to do more or less the same thing, and it fizzled. Good this, timing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this is going to be something that I, I really don't know how that's successful when it's matched up against Disney World in the, in the same area because it is slated to open in, in Shanghai about the same time as, as Disney World over there. It, and 
It is possible that China is a big enough country for two successful theme parks. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. That's a good thought. Um, Definitely possible. Is that, I mean, when you, when you look at how um, Disney has performed really over the last decade for uh, a few years there, the parks, the theme parks were really sort of the weak spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a huge company, highly diversified, but that was the weak spot. It seems like for any number of reasons, that's no longer the case. Going forward, is the big opportunity there in China, is that really the thing? If you're looking at this for growth purposes, it seems like there's only so much more they can do in the United States. The the parks are still growing considerably uh, on an international basis. They're bringing in more and more traffic every year. So I think that is a big source of revenue uh, for Disney for the years to come. The, the segment that we always talk about that's basically just kind of there, I don't know they pay a whole lot of, a lot of attention to it, is the, the interactive uh, media segment with, with online games and, and you know console games and whatnot. And I don't know that they're ever going to really put much attention into that segment, so to speak. I think the biggest threat to Disney on the whole is just the threat of substitutes as far as, as what's out there com- competing for our entertainment dollars. Because at the end of the day, this is all just sheer entertainment. Whether you're going to a park or you're watching a movie or whatever it is, the nice thing about Disney is that they have so many different forms of entertainment that it, it, it mitigates that threat a little bit, I think, over I, the long haul. I think Disney also has something to offer pretty much any kind of investor. A growth investor isn't going to be focused on the theme parks, but uh, a value investor or somebody who's considering Disney as, as something really as a stable core of their portfolio can look to the theme park business and say, wow, this is susa- uh, sustainable competitive advantage, real pricing power. Any parent who's been to Disney uh, you know, five years ago <laughs> versus 10 years ago versus today knows that uh, you know, pricing power is something that, that these guys Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Uh, I will add one more thing. I mean, we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about the next stock that my daughters were going to buy for their portfolio. Yep. Disney was one of the finalists, and Disney actually won out. So, I mean, next week when the when the trading guidelines lift, I mean, we are going to add this to their portfolio. And I think it's just because that it, it has a little bit of, of something to offer everyone. So just to wrap up on the stock shares at an all-time high, from a valuation standpoint, is this – is this a cheap stock? Is it sort of fairly valued? I wouldn't call it cheap. I think at around 18, 19 times earnings, it's it's fairly valued. It's pretty predictable. Uh, it's bounced back nicely after uh, after the economic slowdown. I, so I don't think it's cheap. I don't think it's expensive. I think it's it's a fair price, and especially if you're going to hold on to it for a long time, it's, it's a good stock. Shares of Priceline.com down more than 15% this morning after disappointing third quarter results. Alex, how bad was it? Three words, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> I think that, uh, I, I mean, we've seen dozens of, of high-growth stocks get really just taken out and shot yeah. uh, this quarter. And Priceline has uh, has sort of stood above the fray for, gosh, like three years now. I think it's uh, up four times in value in uh, the past three years. But even Priceline couldn't escape uh, couldn't escape. Mr. Market this quarter, they really got taken out. They really got taken out and nailed. Um, there's a lot of good here. There's some bad here. So just real quick, uh, hotel nights grew 40% year over year. Uh, international hotels grew 44% year over year. Um, they're gaining market share. Uh, Expedia only grew their hotel nights 20%. Orbitz grew a whopping 3%. Uh, year over year, and earnings per share growth grew forty three percent year over year. So naturally, you'd expect you know forty three percent EPS growth. The stock's going to be down fifteen percent, right? <laughs> Obviously, um, that's just how it goes. So you know, so why is the stock down? So so the guidance is the key. So there's two things I think going on with the guidance. Number one, Priceline is the most exposed travel company in the world to the European market, and everyone's very afraid of uh, 
of, of what's going on in Europe now, mm-hmm. and with some good reason, uh, especially for somebody who's you know very focused on what's next month going to look like and what's next quarter going to look like. Uh, and Priceline is seeing a slowdown in European uh, bookings growth from extraordinarily high to simply very, very high. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, Priceline's management team has always been extremely conservative. They're a real, uh, you know, shut up and perform kind of culture there. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't try and manage the stock. Uh, we were talking a little before the show started that you know this is a, this was a six hundred dollar stock. They've, you know, they haven't split the stock in years and years. Yeah. And it's because they're focused on the business. They're not focused on the stock. They give very conservative guidance. They always have. Uh, they always will continue to. But I think this quarter, given the weakness that they saw even in just the last month in Europe, the cons- uh, the guidance that they've given for next quarter is e- even more conservative. And that really is what nailed the stock versus the expectations from um, from analysts that were you know uh, ahead of the game. Joe, what do you think of this? Because uh, as we were talking before the taping today, I have to believe there's some kind of psychological reaction when someone looks at their stock, which is trading somewhere in like, I think before today, it was trading around 680. And right. it drops down to the 570 mark. That's just psychologically, when you see your stock down over $100 a share, that's got to hurt. Yeah, well, it's important to remember that you're dealing with percentages that matter in stocks, not absolute shifts in value, although 15% down isn't great either. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's important to keep that in mind. You know, you look at Berkshire Hathaway, and the Class A shares are selling at $127,000 a share, but that doesn't mean that Berkshire's stock is expensive. In fact, I think it's pretty cheap. It's only selling at about 1.2 times book value. Uh, you know, in Priceline's case, I think it's still a great franchise. I agree that this is more or less a short-term bump. Uh, we used Booking.com, which is a Priceline franchise, to book parts of our honeymoon, and it was incredibly valuable, and we ended up in places we never would have found without it. So, I'm a fan. Getting robbed by a monkey, I might add. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I blame them. I was going to say, who are you going to blame for that? Um, Alex, just in terms of the stock, obviously down today, but this is... Uh, a competitive space. Uh, you got, I mean, you mentioned you got Expedia out there. There's Orbitz, um, Travel Zoo. If you're looking overseas, Sea Trip. I mean, is this is is part of the thesis? If you're looking at this industry, is part of the thesis for Priceline? They're in first place, and I think they're going to stay there. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I think that as competitive as the online travel space has been uh, over the years, there has been a clear, clear cut winner, and that winner is Priceline. So, um, you know, the, I think the three things that matter for the stock today is what's the market opportunity here for worldwide travel? Priceline, like I said, it was up four time, times in value in the last three years. Their global market share has gone from 1% of total hotel. Uh, rooms worldwide booked going through Priceline to 4% today. So that's a huge bump, but 4%. What is it, what, that means the market opportunity is still, is still absolutely extraordinary. And as great as they have been over the years in Europe, um, Asia, and Latin America, and even back into the United States, there are enormous growth opportunities for Priceline uh, going forward. And number two, you know, as competitive as the space is, does, does Priceline have a sustainable advantage in the space? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, this is a, this is a business where, where the size of your network matters. Priceline has the largest um, group of uh, hotels worldwide and in, and in Europe in particular um, on their uh, on their network. Uh, they have the lowest cost offering uh, to hotels that book through uh, or that that try and get clients through Priceline. Uh, and number three, they have the smartest management team uh, in the business. And then the last thing is what's the you know what's the stock price doing? What's where is it priced and what can it achieve? Um, it's still a very high growth story. I think they can easily easily achieve twenty percent. 
sales and earnings growth over the next three to five years. And it's priced at 20 times this year's earnings and 16 times next year's earnings. So this is fantastic company, very good price, I think. All that, and you didn't mention William Shatner. No. Well, why would I? <laughs> what Isn't he of, out? I mean, is, he's out. He's he's, I think he's out of the TV ads. I, think they I still, thought he was there's out, there's but a then reason, I saw him in another ad. There's actually a reason I didn't mention him, and I think it's because U.S. investors are so fo- you know When they see Priceline, all they think about is William Shatner. And the U.S. Name Your Own Price, Priceline.com website business is a tiny, tiny, ins- almost insignificant part of, of, of uh, the Priceline story. Booking.com is everything. Yeah. Well, eBay has a similar dynamic where people still, a lot of investors still think of it as, you know, this online flea market, but the percentage of transactions that are auction-based, it's actually less than half now and shrinking. Square, the mobile payment startup company, announced a partnership today with Starbucks. Starting this fall, Square will begin processing all of the credit and debit card transactions at Starbucks locations in the United States. Uh, Joe, before we get to sort of the particulars of this deal and, and sort of what it means, um, for those who aren't familiar, do you, use, you, do you ever use Square? Yeah, we got an intern to order one of the devices about a year ago so that we could play with it. So and this, I've paid with Square many times. So this, is, this is something I talked with a couple of our colleagues, uh, Mark Brooks and Dan Stapleton, and uh, it, it, it appears to be pretty popular with small business people. And basically, it's an account that you can set up online, and then Square sends you a little device that you plug into the top of your smartphone that enables you to swipe credit cards so that if you have your own little business, you set up an account with Square, and all of a sudden, you can process pretty much any credit card account you want to. Right. Um, So it seems convenient. It seems popular. Mm -hmm. But again, that's with small business people. Starbucks is anything but a small business. What do you think this deal means? Well, it's a huge, huge win for Square. Uh, they've done an amazing job of wrangling business with small small business owners like cab drivers, food trucks, people who just want a simple solution for collecting more money. Um, they'll be able to win a lot more business for that. But when you kind of broaden out and think about who this is affecting, uh, there are a lot of knock-on ramifications. And, you know, I would say the plastic owner networks, so you're talking about Visa and MasterCard, these guys are winners in this case. Uh, it's just going to be kind of incrementally driving more people to pay with plastic. And, you know, even though there's a lot of innovation in the space, just because someone's paying with their Visa card in a different way than before doesn't really mean much has changed. They're still using Visa. And Visa's actually an investor in Square, which kind of tells you what they think of it. Um, if you are the maker of hardware or you are like a Verifone or you're a Heartland Systems or Global Payments, and you're a credit card processor, you definitely don't like hearing this, because Square just suddenly became a much more serious contender on winning business. And, you know, Square is a better technology. It's very simple. It's become popular, and it's cheap. And when you get Starbucks on there as a customer, it's going to make the selling prop a lot easier for them. So I think for some of these other guys, they're going to start seeing a lot more pressure and see margins starting to tighten over the next few years. Yeah, to Joe's point with uh, the deal being so huge for Square, I think that's spot on because Starbucks uh, itself just – as a store in the U.S., they process over a million mobile payment transactions every week just in, in U.S. stores alone. So that's business that's going to be really, I think, adding to the significance of this deal for Square for what's many, in, many years to come. What's in this for Starbucks? Does it make the line move faster? Does it yeah. make it? Is it is it a cheaper transaction cost to, to Starbucks? I mean, why why do why they go for it? Yeah. yeah, I think that what's in it for them is that part of the Square prop is. 
they had this technology where you could go up and pay without having to swipe a card or a phone, and it's voice-based, and it's conceptually quicker and easier. Maybe it's a way for them to stand out, but you know, as I've ranted about on the show before, it's really tough to get people to change the way they pay for things. So I'm skeptical that that's actually going to play out like people expect, but it's still a win for Square because they're going to be processing all those payments. Okay. You can always email us, radio at fool.com. Uh, got an email from Justin Brown in San Diego, California, weighing in on our playing of the electric slide yesterday. Uh, he writes, if any regional or national news reports had a remarkably good-looking guy and fantastic dancer, I may add, doing the electric slide on the streets of San Diego while walking two black labs yesterday, then I am guilty as charged. <laughs> I've got to say that when I tune into your podcast, I do not expect a dance party, but that's what happened yesterday, so hats off. Keep up the great work and the unexpected 80s dance music. That's a very nice email, but you know yeah. what? I mean, we don't do outtakes all the time. We don't do music all the time. Like, that's, you know, that's a little bit of lightning in the bottle, so I, I appreciate Justin's point, but we're not... We're not, we're not we don't take requests. And no. This is my point. I'm sorry. All right. Joe Mager, Alex Scherer, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Knows the the Zach is shaking. Why'd you come in here and